Alright, just so you all know, in this episode, I sound kind of mellow, not super energetic. The reason is because I did the episode at 7 in the morning. So just because I'm a little on the DL down low, chilling out, doesn't mean I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And I know you're going to enjoy it too. With that, let's get into this. Woo! Alright, how's it going everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Andrew Boss, who is the co-founder and CEO of Ply. Andrew, welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, welcome, Matt. Thanks for the invitation. Going amazing. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Looking forward to hearing all about what you are working on with Ply. And with that, let's just kind of dive in. For people that don't know, what are you working on? Uh, yep. Uh, right now, I'm working on Ply. And the Ply is an app for teams to set and track OKRs, objectives and key results, exchange real-time feedback, recognitions, and conduct one-on-ones and check-ins with the team. So Ply is basically a category of performance people and performance management uh, software uh, for teams. So for people that may not know, um, can you kind of break down what a what an OKR is and why um, and like why it's important for running a company? Mm-hmm. So uh, OKR specifically, it's a goal setting and tracking methodology originally popularized a lot uh, by Google in the early 2000. And now it's uh, adopted by thousands of organizations uh, all over the world. Uh, it is important because uh, as any company that is working, uh, they cannot work effectively if uh, all the team is not aligned uh, where they are working towards and uh, make sure that they don't, don't uh, waste time for unproductive activities or discussions. Uh, and uh, it might be not that important to when you are one, two, or three people uh, starting your organization, but as soon as you grow to some threshold about uh, 15, 20 people, uh, it becomes essential uh, to set up the proper uh, team processes in the team and uh, make sure that uh, you are effective, you are measuring uh, your success metrics, and the most importantly, that your team is engaged and motivated and on the same page about what you're uh, doing. Because in organizations, it's a, a big problem, team uh, disengagement and, uh, uh, and this kind of uh, HR-related, people-related uh, problems. So in my last company, we tried to implement OKRs, but I, I read soon after that we might have been a little too early or a little too small to do OKRs. When is a, you know, can, is a company able to do OKRs anytime, even if they're like three or four people? Or is there a certain, is there a point where OKRs start to matter? And if there is, like, why, does it, why is there a point? Why is there a team size that makes OKRs relevant? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and uh, I would say that uh, I myself use OKRs for my personal uh, goals. I just use this uh, framework and approach. I've seen teams adopt them of any size, from three people to multi uh, million uh, to several thousand uh, people. There is a, a threshold that I uh, I estimate and think uh, where OKRs uh, are especially important, and this is uh, from about uh, 20 people. And when the organization reaches about uh, 20 or so, I think it it would be recommended for them to start exploring. Uh, the proper goal setting methodology and the OKR is uh, one of them 
that they might like and adopt. And uh, I highly recommend checking it. And you mentioned that you use OKRs for your own personal goals. So you're saying that you use this platform um, to like almost run yourself like a company. Um, how, how, I guess, can you explain, can you give us an example of what some of a, like what a personal OKR of yours would be and just like what your almost stack looks like personally? I feel like a lot of people, um, including myself, feel like OKRs can only be used if you have like a, a mid-sized to large company. But I, I'd love to hear a use case of an individual using it for themselves. <laughs> so uh, basically, I just break down my, uh, my life into several categories. And uh, this includes uh, professional, finances, health, hobbies, uh, fun, family. And in each of these categories, I set a goal for myself, let's say for the year goal, to be a grateful and uh, a grateful family member. And I include several key results. Uh, for example, what was the, this year key result that I added? It was uh, spent, uh, conduct at least uh, four memorable events with my family members. What was the other one? To visit my uh, sister uh, in Italy. Uh, I don't remember what was uh, the third key result, but this is uh, kind of an example of uh, how you can set uh, goals and um, work towards achieving them. So what I later do, I then break down these uh, yearly goals into quarterly, uh, quarterly OKRs uh, and uh, plan my trips to visit my uh, family which, that lives in the, another city or to visit my sister that lives in another country. Because otherwise, you, I'll be, I'm sure I'll be kept, caught up in day-to-day -day activities and then at the end of the year, just like, oh, it was a busy year, I didn't have time, so on and so forth. In order to find this type of excuses, I try to plan in advance and uh, like proactively plan uh, what is important for me uh, in my life. Got it. That makes sense. I actually just made an account and I want to like tool around for my own personal needs as well. Because right now Forward Thinking Founders is a giant company of one. So maybe I can uh, use it for myself. Um, so what other, you know, when you were introducing it, uh, and you know you mentioned OKRs, which we just dove in, but you also mentioned some other key, like I guess, features um, or products. Can you go into some of the other things that you're, uh, someone is able to do with Ply? Let's say this company is fifty people, so like they need a, they need a platform like this. What else can they do with with your platform? Yeah, uh, so setting goal and aligning your team towards uh, common objectives is uh, one only uh, the beginning. You later actually need to implement them and uh, achieve your goals. And in order to do that. Uh, most organizations need a set of uh, activities that they perform in the team uh, in order to uh, exchange feedback to know what is going uh, good and uh, where are the problems to be able to wrap them uh, proactively to exchange some praises or rewards with each other to motivate uh, team members and make sure that they feel uh, valued, recognized and appreciated uh, in the team. To conduct regular, uh, managers conduct regular one-on-ones with their uh, team members and uh, during which they also discover what's working best for this uh, person, what the problems are, and what are the growth opportunities for this uh, person. And uh, we are targeting to build a platform where managers can do all of that and uh, uh, become themselves by the managers and uh, thus help their team grow. And uh, to be honest, there are already uh, similar uh, platforms and solutions like Ply, 
and uh, what we are different and what we are trying uh, to achieve uh, to fill the gap between the uh, notebooks and spreadsheets. This is how most of the small organizations start and what they do. Uh, and between the enterprise uh, performance management software that is uh, targeting for annual contracts and uh, complex software. Uh, when I was working in my uh, previous company that I founded, uh, and we were about 30 people and started looking for this kind of uh, software, we kind of uh, found this gap between notebooks and the uh, enterprise software and didn't find any that was uh, small and small enough and easy enough to use and also without the uh, annual contract ag uh, agreement in advance that would uh, fit us. That's where we discovered the problem. Uh, did a research and found out that we're not the only uh, people, uh, the only company uh, struggling to find such a solution and decided to build it and to help uh, not only enterprise co companies, uh, but any size of companies um, um, be able to build effective uh, and high performing team. And something that sticks out to me is that you did mention that there are other some other companies, you know, in this space. But what I've found is all of those companies for pretty high barrier to entry to, to get started. What I mean is like, you can't really use that platform unless you're paying, I don't know, like 10 bucks a month per user or something like that. But I noticed with, with, with your website, with your product, I, I was able to sign up and uh, you, you have, you have a, a free tier, a freemium tier, which enables me to use it, um, you know, without having to commit, you know, money right now and scale and pay as I scale. Like, why did you make that product decision, um, which I think is the right decision, but like, wh why did you decide on premium for you? Freemium. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of our di differentiators. So almost now as a company in this area offers a premium model uh, for their uh, users. Uh, this decision came from our own need and uh, from our own position uh, when we wanted actually to try at least some solution uh, for a limited amount of time and uh, or for a limited functionality before being uh, uh, being confident enough to subscribe for a yearly plan uh, for some of them and uh, not being able to do this made me frustrated and i personally as a representation representative of this younger generation i just feel very bad when the only button on the website is uh, request a demo i just uh, can't stand uh, <laughs> this type of solutions uh, and um, i feel like i'm advanced enough users to figure out the software uh, for myself and I feel that uh, nowadays most of the users in the internet should be uh, like able to figure out the software uh, for themselves and uh, if they cannot it speaks maybe that the software maybe is not that intuitive enough so so that users cannot figure it out uh, on themselves so th this decision was driven from my personal need and from the research that we did about similar companies like ours uh, and also from uh, the pricing model, because when you're offering a premium model and self-serving product, you basically cannot offer, you cannot allow yourself to have a dedicated sales rep or account manager that would be able to onboard uh, the clients. Uh, this is just the limitation of the uh, model that we uh, entered. It's, uh, it's some, someone calls it uh, low, low touch uh, SaaS product. And uh, I actually want to dive into the last point you mentioned, just because uh, I'm, I am kind of curious. So did you say that because it's a low-touch SaaS product and people can kind of like onboard themselves, you don't need to hire 
as many salespeople or, or is, is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're targeting to be a self-serving uh, low-touch uh, SaaS in this business and uh, make sure that companies are able to onboard and uh, set up these processes for themselves without uh, required uh, account manager or sales representative. So do you have any, I don't know, like theory or thought on pricing um, for people that don't want to do freemium but want to charge low? Um, what I mean by that is like, I know, I know a lot of people that want to charge like five bucks for their property or whatever, or 10 bucks, but it actually does require some hands-on time. And what they, what they find over time is that they're not able to sustain a organization or sales organization at that price. So you kind of have avoided that, you know, avoided that problem by like kind of building a low touch product um, for onboarding. But like, do you have any other thoughts on how founders can think about pricing that, that makes sure it aligns with like the incentives of the customers and doesn't screw them over in the long run? I don't know, it's kind of like an, an odd question, but do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah definitely. I researched uh, this uh, last week, especially this uh, topic of pricing. Uh, it's a very important topic uh, for the startups. And uh, as far as I understand right now, there are two main, for SaaS businesses, two main approaches, low touch and high touch. And depending, it's critical to understand for the startup in which category uh, is their product and if it is uh, and the totally different rules play uh, for these two buckets so if you are a low touch you target to be a self-serving product and uh, sell mainly through marketing channel and uh, onboarding uh, emails and maybe in rare cases to with uh, some help of account manager or a sales rep so the general recommendation is to charge uh, low for per usage per per customer and uh, upgrade them to higher tiers when they grow and their organization and usage uh, grows and their value grows. Uh, also important to align the uh, like the value of the customer with the price that you are charging. For example, let's say we are doing a podcast app and uh, it would be not, uh, my opinion, not. Uh, uh, very relevant for users to charge for let's say for the number of episodes uh, played because the number of episodes does not represent my value i might uh, need to, to listen to 10 episodes to finally understand some topic that uh, i'm looking for uh, but for example like charging uh, you as a podcaster uh, by the number of revenue that you bring through ads for example this is much better representation of the value that you are getting from your product so similar uh, to other such products of course, charging per seat is one of the most important per user. We also charge per user because our value is uh, proportional to the number of users uh, in the uh, system, but it's not necessarily the case for other uh, products. So this is speaking about uh, low touch model and high touch. The rules are uh, totally different. You, uh, then you add, this is what our, most of our competitors do. You add a blocker of uh, the demo and sales rep and uh, do customize uh, enterprise sales for each client and usually these are uh, checks uh, and invoices start from 5k per month and uh, most of the sales is uh, uh, to enterprise clients and the organization overall is uh, sales driven when in the low touch model the organization is marketing and product driven i by the way uh, if a listener uh, listeners can find a very good guide on pricing in the uh, uh, Stripe Atlas guides, if you go to stripe.atlas.com.atlas slash atlas, 
there is a very nice guides on building SaaS products, including a, a, a great guy on pricing. Highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, Stripe Atlas is amazing. Uh, the con the content that they have on there is, is yeah, so good. super uh, high quality and uh, yeah, to the point. Uh, I uh, actually follow, I guess, the guy, one of the guys behind Stripe Atlas, Patrick McKenzie, on yeah, Twitter, but- and that guy is just wicked smart <laughs> um yeah he's also of most of the uh, of the guides in the super smart yeah well i have a, a kind of some more questions on, on this business and uh, um but well it's actually less on a business and more about like theory of how to grow there's like kind of this argument going on on twitter right now between some vcs on like you know one vc said hey you may like the things that unlock the biggest and most substantial growth is um, product improvement. It's building the best product. And then it's so good that the users talk about it with other friends and that's the cheapest growth. Well, there's this other camp that says you, you need to hire like a, a solid growth team, optimize everything and put your resources in, into that to, to grow. Where, where do you lay on that spectrum of product led growth? versus marketing and uh, sales like growth. Although I know it's not sales, but like, where, where are you on that spectrum? Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, hello, Matt. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. Okay. So I'm definitely, uh, out of these two spectrum, I'm definitely on the product that grows and uh, I'm much more believer of uh, this approach than the sales and marketing, uh, just pure sales and marketing uh, led growth. I cannot say that I did some research and I uh, compared all the versions and uh, choose the most uh, the, the version that is promises the best ROI. It just feels more better for me if the products would sell for themselves and uh, the most uh, user friendly and the best product for the users would win versus uh, the most aggressive sales strategies uh, would win. This is the world that I believe uh, would be more beneficial for all parties involved and uh, that's part of the uh, part of the world that I want to be part of, uh, but of course, uh, any any program product when it grows, uh, sooner or later they will face the need to target the bigger markets and enterprise client, and they would no matter what how you start, you will end up uh, somewhere in between, doing uh, a little a bit of both sides. Got it. That's that's a good insight. So you know you, you shouldn't just optimize for a great product. You shouldn't just optimize for a great growth team. You just do some some combination of both, um, and yeah, that, yeah. that works out. Yeah, that, that's definitely work uh, work best. But uh, I would prefer starting with the product and then adding uh, as the product grows, adding more uh, sales and marketing uh, uh, resources. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so couple more questions about this specific company i guess where do you see I mean, how do you know how to spend your time like tomorrow you know or today or i guess today is night for you so tomorrow um what are you going to work on like how do you know how to chunk up your day um and if you do use okrs like just what are some of the activities that you spend your time on every day well Right now, as a, as a startup, uh, it's the answer is very simple. We work on the most critical uh, thing that uh, we together as a small team decide uh, to work on uh, right now. Right now, it's optimizing talking to users and uh, getting the uh, paying uh, customers. The month before, it was uh, applying to YC and getting ready uh, for the YC three process. 
and the month before it was releasing uh, the feedback uh, feature that we were targeting to release before the YC. Our, plans, uh, our planning cycle is, uh, uh, is the irony is that uh, we yet cannot use OKRs at Fly because uh, as a startup, and we have just general uh, direction and vision. Our, as a startup, our plans change way too often in order to commit to some quarterly uh, objectives. During the quarter, our OKRs would change several times so far. <clears throat> that's, that's actually really interesting. I want to dive into that because that might have been potentially the downfall of, of our use of, of OKRs, just the fact that, you, that things change. Um, I guess in an early stage startup, is, if you're not able to set OKRs because things change so often, is that a bad thing or is that just naturally how an early stage startup works? And is there a point where that smoothens out or evens out a little bit? Um, I guess when, when's the point where like it gets a little more stable? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's natural growth uh, where the, any company that starts, uh, there is so many unknown unknowns and uh, so many things that the team needs to figure out. And the one that uh, we are figuring out uh, right now with uh, Ply, that it's just impossible to play uh, too long in advance. And I think that it might be even uh, harmful for the organization to do robust uh, planning from the very beginning and draw any long-term business plans that uh, would be actually be pointless uh, to mount this uh, down the road. Uh, so it's absolutely natural and uh, OKRs uh, are definitely not, uh, uh, the, uh, not the solution for uh, the teams that just started uh, a few months ago. It, uh, as the team grows with uh, each planning cycle, roughly it doubles. If you could plan for the mounts in advance, probably the next cycle you can plan for two mounts. And after that, we can probably plan for four or five. And uh, with these iterations, uh, you'd come to the need when you would uh, finally be able to plan for at least half a year. And then that where the, and by, the time, by that time, most likely your team size would grow. And that's where OKRs uh, start fitting in and helping you uh, align the team when doing this more long-term planning. Long-term, I mean, at least half a year. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's honestly blowing my mind. I never really thought about planning from this angle, but you're totally right. Like early stage startups change so quickly. You can't just plan out a year from now. It's like, or even, even like six months from now, if you just started, it's not how it works. So uh, that's very, it's very interesting. How yeah, uh, you, you cannot, you cannot plan, but you definitely need to have a, some kind of a roadmap or vision, uh, a direction where you're taking this company, where you're taking the product uh, and your team, uh, you need still to make a promise to investors and be able to uh, to achieve uh, these promises. So we definitely have some kind of direction, but I would not call it uh, a plan. I just want to make sure that listeners understand correctly where I'm not uh, uh, calling them to avoid any planning. Uh, planning itself is a useful process, just most of the plans fail after they meet uh, the reality. And because right now you're focusing on low-touch growth, um, how do you, I mean, right now, how do you think about getting customers and customer acquisition, user acquisition? What marketing channels are you using? Is it word of mouth? Um, how, do you, how are you growing right now? Uh, right now, we are growing uh, uh, through content marketing, like 80% and word of mouth, uh, 20%. Uh, 
we're not doing any paid uh, acquisition or other channels. Uh, we tried, we started exploring uh, some others like Captera or rating platforms, but the content is the main source of uh, users uh, for now. We started writing content as soon as we get the idea for the, as soon as we conceived uh, the idea of Apply. And I started sharing my experience uh, with OKRs, giving examples and guides and eBooks uh, for team. And uh, we've been able to attract users uh, for this content uh, much earlier before the actual release. And they were, when we were ready to release, we already had more than five, 500, five or 600 users uh, in the database to whom we could uh, uh, share the news and uh, on board as the, uh, the very first customers. And can you dive a little deeper into your content strategy? I, I um, the company I started a couple of years ago, uh, Publoft, you know, was all about content, and we we did content for plenty of startups. So yeah, I actually know this realm pretty well. So I'm kind of intrigued. Um, you know, did you focus specifically on blogging? Was it like podcasting, eBooks, all of the above? Yeah, can you just dive into how you thought about content? Well, I I uh, I'm mostly I did almost only uh, blogging on our own blog and uh, trying to build uh, some useful links, uh, but very few. And also we did an ebook on adopting OKRs and also published it uh, uh, on the website. That's basically everything uh, what we did uh, about content. It proved, uh, appeared to be a quite a good strategy to, to attract uh, some early adopters. And uh, what is impressive, I did it, it, this ebook in, in the weekend uh, in two days, and uh, it's still on the website. And I yesterday talked with the organization that is implementing their OKR in the in the company. And it's a U.S. organization, uh, according to this ebook, which I didn't uh, like update since uh, since summer. After that uh, two days, but uh, I started thinking that uh, probably I need to revisit it and improve the the content. That's so funny. Um, I have a similar situation where uh, we wrote a post for a customer in 2017 called, uh, what was it called? Something around like the best web development stacks to use in 2017. And uh, even in mid 2019, it was still number one for the keyword web stacks, web development stacks, web stacks to use. And that was like when, that was when Publop just started. So they got quite a, quite a deal there, which is good. That's like what you want for a customer is high ROI, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you say you had an experience with content, what do you think are the most uh, effective content strategies to use uh, right now in 2020? Uh, I think for now, uh, you know, there's so many people that are going for quantity of content and just pushing out as much content as they possibly can for Google to rank. And this pretty much isn't going to work. So I think to, to in, in my view, creating, you know, a few extremely high quality pieces of content a month, um, almost, you know, almost is just like a product. It's like going to be like, you know, word of mouth growth where you, you share it. And let's say it's 10,000 words or something like that. That's going to be much more substantial than sharing 10, 1,000 word posts. So in a world where so many people are doing content marketing and trying to go for the quick and easy route, I would go for the, the low quantity, high quality. Um, also, I think getting into podcasting uh, is also like probably a good idea um, just because I think it's people think it's, it's sunsetting, but I think it's just getting started.
Mm, got it. Well, you know what? Uh, I like uh, in theory, I totally agree with you about lower quant uh, quantity, uh, higher quality. But from my experience, for example, I wrote about thirty something articles for Fly last year. But surprisingly, the articles where I spend most of the effort and time were not the most popular, ironically. And uh, it blew my mind later when I saw the uh, statistics. Uh, so uh, it's kind of it's kind of fun how it turns out. And uh, I'm I guess it um, it would be not. I guess you, you need to combine uh, as well quantity with quality. Uh, some to experiment and figure out where is uh, the most uh, attractive uh, topics lie. And uh, also, when you find this uh, high growth potential, then invest into quality. I guess that might, might be a good approach. Yeah, I, well, I agree with that. Also, one thing to note um, with content is it all depends on also like who you're trying to, to reach. Um, and uh, like for us, we were trying to build b2b content so we actually cared like a little less for ourselves uh if it ranked very high on google because we were using that content as sales collateral but for someone like you you're not you're not doing sales yet or you're, you're, you're to get people in the door you're it, it's self-serve so that's where seo matters a little more uh so um but i totally agree sometimes the best articles that you write aren't the ones that perform best and the ones you never expected are the ones that blow up like that's that's totally true <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's very fine. So, what does the path forward look like for you and your team? Uh, you know, in, in the next decade, where do you think Ply could could get to? Um, you know, how big could it get, and what what would it look like? Well, I envision Ply to be a kind of a, like a manager assistant, uh, uh, the whole people and performance management platform that would be an indicator of the team health uh, uh, and performance. Uh, because we target not to be uh, just any software that uh, has uh, any feature or can fit any like team process and uh, team, uh, how the team is organized. We target to, to help our customers at Ply uh, adopt the best practices uh, for team management and people management that we uh, researched and found uh, all over the internet and in all the books and podcasts uh, that we found. This includes uh, building a technological safe teams and allowing a high level of trust uh, and uh, freedom in the organizations. And this is an environment that we believe would help the team grow. And uh, we built Ply to nurture this uh, environment uh, in the team. For example, like not, uh, not allowing to have private OKRs right now in the team uh, so that uh, to make sure that the uh, all the company goals are transparent and uh, every team member feels accountable for their goals because any other team member uh, can view and check uh, can view them and check the pro progress and how the team is uh, performing so i envision fly uh, to be this kind of a platform for teams that first help them build the uh, effective and uh, productive and fulfilling for employees uh, team environment and, uh, and take them from there. Got it. Yeah, that, that, sound, that sounds awesome and a great direction and vision. Um, I want to pivot the conversation a little bit. Um, I have a couple more questions, but you know, when you're not thinking about your company 
and your culture and team, et cetera, when you're just out of work mode, which I'm sure isn't like super often, but when you are, what do you spend your time thinking about? It could be different technologies in the world. It could be problems that we're dealing with. It can be, it could be anything, but I'd love to know what you spend your brain capacity on when you're not putting it all on fly. Well, in terms of uh, brain capacity, I used to do some uh, theater classes uh, the two years before. I liked it uh, a lot. And also, I like to spend uh, some time in the topic of uh, philosophy. And I find it uh, very curious and fascinating uh, reading and discovering about the uh, philosophy theories and the philosophical problems that people were struggling uh, over in the past uh, two thousand years from like Seneca to Buddhism uh, to Christianity and uh, visiting some philosophy classes or listening to let's say Michael uh, Sandel and his justice course uh, on Harvard and uh, like being able to ask myself these uh, really curious uh, problems uh, that Michael Sandel likes to uh, uh, give their his students like uh, problems with the train if you remember, there's a train going down and it, uh, the brakes uh, are not working. And there are, if you stop it, you'll kill one set of people. If you change the uh, rail, uh, you'll kill another set of people. So what's your decision? How, do you, how are you going to make it? Uh, why? What underlines uh, these decisions? Uh, what means for the world uh, to be promoting or uh, supporting certain kind of uh, decision? Or direction for the people for people uh, to take. I find it uh, extremely interesting and uh, fascinating, and it uh, helps me a little bit, uh, you know, get uh, get out of the work and startup and products mode, and be able to think uh, more about people or uh, something like this. What do you think about kind of the self-proclaimed? modern philosopher of Naval Ravikant. Uh, do, do, you, do you follow Naval Ravikant at all um, and kind of his whole, his whole stuff? I, uh, I follow Naval. I discovered him quite recently. I don't know too much about him. The only thing uh, that I've uh, so far uh, found uh, really useful and interesting from him, his uh, uh, analysis of markets and how he makes uh, financial investment decisions based on a few set of criteria, criteria as he described, like uh, combining the oil prices with the dollar versus euro uh, or something like this. Uh, I found it very interesting, but other than that, I cannot comment because I don't know too much uh, about him. All of the modern philosophers, I like uh, Michael Sandel and uh, Nicholas Taleb, find them interesting. What uh, makes someone, it's probably a very stupid question, but like, it, like, how can someone just decide that they are a modern philosopher? Is it like a title you can get? Or are they, are they given that title because so many people, like, follow them? I know it's not an actual title they wear on a name tag, but how does someone become a philosopher in 2020? Well, I don't know, to be honest. I don't, uh, I certainly don't think that the number of followers is a good uh, representation, a good metric where of the of the person is a philosopher and where if their uh, philosophy is uh, any kind of valuable uh, i don't know to be honest it's a hard question yes the only time would show uh, later and uh, if 
the philosophy of this kind of philosoph modern philosopher would sustain over time and if people would find it uh, valuable in uh, 50, 100, or 1,000 years, like uh, the Buddhism or uh, of the Stoic philosophy, uh, uh, any other uh, ancient philosophy that is uh, kind of relevant uh, till these days. And I find it really fascinating how, for example, Stoicism is uh, still relevant in 2,000 years and uh, still inspires uh, so many people and uh, help them find the uh, answer to the question that they are looking for. So the, the stand of time, I think, is the only test uh, whether a philosopher is good or not, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Well, I suggest you definitely follow, um, you keep following Naval. He is, a, in my opinion, a brilliant mind um, and just has perspectives on the world that I've never heard before in my life and probably never will. Like, again, you know, he's just a very smart person. Uh, the, the last question I have for you uh, is, you know, you're, you're on your way to building an awesome company. You already have an awesome company and you're just going to get more awesome over time. But over time, you're going to need some help to make that happen. So my question is, how can the forward thinking founders community help you? If you even ask for one or two or all of our listeners, we are all yours. How can we help? Well, uh, it's a great uh and great offer um, would be, uh, to be honest, I would be very grateful uh, if uh, someone from the community who's listening this uh, uh, and is interested in uh, improving their team performance to just to give Ply a try and uh, uh, send out the feedback, whatever they find interesting and useful or any problems that they find, it would be the best help uh, at this moment uh, uh, for Ply and for my company. Uh, to give a, a real valuable feedback from people, uh, from our target users for the teams that find it uh, interesting and useful for them. All right, there it is. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for coming on to the Forward Thinking Founders podcast. Really fascinating stuff. I'm going to be using Apply for myself probably from here on out. Um, you know, I tooled around during the podcast and it's really interesting. So great work building that and best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure and really interesting uh, talking with you, Matt.